Good morning, everyone. You know, we're starting a new book this month. I say a new book. Of course, it's not a new one. It's one of Ernest Holmes' classics written in the early 1960s. It's called Discover a Richer Life. And one of the reasons I chose it, not only does it give us tools for making our lives richer, not only does it give us uh, tools and ways of being in the world that will enliven our lives and kind of embolden our spirits, but it actually starts out with a little bit of an explanation of what this thing that we call science of mind even is. You know, is it a religion? Is it a philosophy? You know, why is the word science in it? I think it highlights, if you will, some of the reasons why we're here, maybe instead of at another church or another synagogue. So I wanted to start with a a brief quote from this book that I think will kick off a, a nice philosophical discussion today. So here, right from page one, paragraph one, is what Ernest Holmes says about this book. He says, for too long have we been dividing ourselves as well as the universe in which we live into small, separate, unrelated segments. We have been so busy doing this that we've overlooked the fact that everything is part of one stupendous whole. We have separated the spirit from the mind. We've separated the mind from the body. We have isolated living things from that which causes them to live. The stars and the atoms we consider apart from the explosive creativity which creates and sustains. There comes a time when it is necessary to put things back together again. There comes a time to correlate and integrate the knowledge that we have learned into a practical system of thought for our greater benefit. There comes a time to fully express the wonderful and complete person that you are. And so I want to talk about that today in terms of where we've kind of kind of headed in life. I think what Ernest Holmes is describing is that sort of dichotomy between science and spirituality, that, that seeming separation that, that both the ministers of the world and the scientists of the world, I think, are a little bit guilty of promoting that idea that, uh, what, do, what do they call it, separation of, of, uh, of church and state? I mean, I guess that's its most... Uh, uh, readily available idea you know we got to keep that which is religious or that which is spiritual we got to keep that over here and then the affairs of the world will put them over here and none the twain shall meet and in fact i think even scientists some of them take a certain amount of delight in analyzing things down to the point where there's no mystery left in it do you know what i mean and and it's not that i'm at all opposed to scientific inquiry and and in fact i love it but occasionally it's as though the conclusion is if we can explain everything down to the last atom well then god doesn't need to exist right (laughs) there doesn't need to be any mystery because the mystery has been solved it's this atom interacting with this atom that builds complex molecules that create systems that get complex enough so that at some point they start thinking that they're real. <laughs> and in fact, one, one of the articles I, I was reading in here uh, describes the whole idea even of consciousness as simply being what happened when, he, when animals' brains got too complicated for their own good. We started imagining we have a life of our own instead of just a reaction to stimulus out in the world. And so I guess here's where I want to start today, and, and, and hopefully we'll have some interest in talking philosophy. Well, actually, 
where I really want to start, I guess it should be a joke about philosophy. So, so, uh, so here goes. I, I hope there are some philosophy lovers out there or this is going to be a really bad joke. All right. So the French existentialist Jean-Paul Sartre was sitting in a cafe and the waitress approached him. Can I get you something to drink, Monsieur Sartre? Sartre replied, well, yes, I'd like a cup of coffee with sugar but no cream. Nodding in agreement, the waitress walked off to fill the order, and Sartre returned to his working. A few minutes later, she returned, sadly. I'm sorry, Monsieur Sartre, we're all out of cream. How about coffee with no milk? Okay, I was, af- I was afraid there might be a, a few people here who are not philosophers. That's okay. Actually, my point of the joke is that we missed the point. <laughs> My point of the joke is that so often we are wound up in either one side of the equation or the other side of the equation that we miss the middle ground where humans live. So let me explain this dichotomy. Let me explain the two camps, if you will. One is that there's only matter. One of them is, you might think of it as the ultra-scientific camp that says... It can all be explained by matter. The interactions of one molecule with another, the interactions of complex molecules even that make up our bodies, that really humans are nothing more than a complicated animal that because of its complicated brain reached an idea that it was self-aware and that in fact God was created by our thinking about God. That there's nothing more to God, no mystery in the universe, other than that which we give to it, other than our own thoughts. So in that camp, you might say everything is what we can see and touch and taste and, and analyze. Everything exists only to the extent that we can quantify it and scientifically measure it and figure it out. And anything that seems mysterious, any sense of miracles or any sense of spirituality, just means we haven't figured it out quite yet. That given enough time and an expensive enough equipment and enough research time and things like that, eventually we'll figure it out. Those things that seem like a, a blessing to us, we'll figure it out. Synchronicity, we'll figure it out. Just, you know, don't worry about it. It's all in the nuts and bolts. Well, the trouble with this is, of course, that's really not who we are. It doesn't address our heart. It doesn't address our, our sense of who we are on the planet, right? How, how do you like being described just by what you are instead of who you are? And it leads to disasters in the world. You know, I was reading not too long ago. It was funny. Uh, um, someone mentioned the separation of church and state. And I was reading a newspaper article not too long ago. You know, one of those tragic events when someone brings a gun to school and people are hurt because of it. And what was interesting in this particular case in Ohio earlier this year, they forgot the human equation entirely. It was all about safety in the schools. I mean, there was a shooting, and so what did they focus in? On making the children physically safe. So metal detectors at the door, and, and, and on and on. And they missed, well, to me, to me, I mean, safety is important, don't get me wrong, but to a degree, they missed the point. What about the children and the families of the children, and even the teachers, even the custodian of that place, right? What about the people who were there? Their hearts were suffering. We don't just talk about bringing in, do you know what I mean? I mean, sure, a metal detector will be useful for, for the future, but, 
But right now, there is something going on that tugs at the heart and the mind, and we must address it, right? There is something beyond the physical nature, the bits and bolts that make us human. There is the human soul, the, the human consciousness that must be addressed as well. Okay, so that's, if you will, the, the extreme side of it's only matter. All we have to worry about is figuring out how things work to the nth degree, and then we'll have all the problems of the world ability to be solved. Other extreme, I would say, is those people who believe that all there is is thought and consciousness. Now, a lot of times here in the science of mind, we think that that's uh, what we're a bit about, that we're going to use our thinking to change our lives. We say it every Sunday. But it doesn't mean that we ignore our lives. When you ignore the physical part of your being, you come up with equal tragedy. You know, sadly, just a few months ago, I, I found another uh, newspaper article about an Albany couple, just right down here in Albany. They're accused of their daughter's death. Why? Because they didn't take her to the doctor. They let her do their daughter die with an untreated but treatable illness because they believe that through the power of their consciousness and the power of her consciousness that they can solve it without any medical attention whatsoever. You know, I think that's going to the equal and opposite extreme. Do you know what I mean? It's like, are we beings of 100% consciousness? There is the thought, and in fact, I, I was waiting for one of our practitioner students to come up to me because I know they have recently studied Emma Curtis Hopkins, and one of Emma Curtis Hopkins' things is there is no matter. We completely imagine the whole universe, that we're in the very center of it, and through the power of our thinking, we manifest the, our bodies, this room, everything, that we're nothing more than the energy of consciousness itself that has kind of tricked itself, in a way, into thinking up this chair and, and Nancy and, you know, and, and on. And, well, and that took more thought than other things, too, by the way. But, uh, but the idea of Emma Curtis Hopkins is there really is no matter. So where do we, where do we what's our conclusion here? You know, I think that it's an issue of balance, and I would like to try an exercise with you all to see if we can pinpoint what it is for you personally. And Ken, would you maybe even help me on the piano with this? So if you're game, what I'd like you to do is close your eyes, and I'm going to leave you through a brief contemplation and I think it might help answer this question. Are we made of matter or are we made of consciousness? And so as you close your eyes and just settle into your chair, I'd like to start this contemplation by asking a question. And as you ask it silently to yourself, begin thinking of the various roles that you are in this world. When you ask, who am I? You might think, I'm a mother, or I'm a father. You might think I'm a husband or a wife. When you ask, who am I, and think about the many roles you play, you might say, I'm a nurse, or a grandparent. Begin thinking of the various external roles that you fulfill when you ask, 
Who am I? You know what? You are also the product of all of your experiences. When you ask, who am I? You might respond with some of your life experiences. You might say, well, I'm a cancer survivor, or I'm a lifelong student. You might say, I'm a skilled woodworker, or a decorated military officer. Your experiences of life also help to answer the question, Who am I? So contemplate some of the major life experiences that contribute to who and what you are. And now I'd like to ask you to contemplate your physical nature. What are the physical facts about yourself that are true when you ask, who am I? Are you brown-eyed? Are you heavy, slender, or average? Are you a 24-year-old brunette woman or something entirely different? What does your body say when you ask, who am I? And now I'd like you to contemplate your thoughts and your emotions. In your innermost being, you have thousands of thoughts, thousands of emotional responses every single day. These are part of who you are. You might say, I'm sad or I'm hungry. You might say, I'm still angry about what my spouse did. Or you might say, I'm looking forward to retirement. The thoughts that we have most often The thoughts we have with the most emotions define a great deal of who we are. Contemplate some of the thought patterns you have most frequently and answer the question, who am I?
And finally, we're going to ask the question one more time from a new perspective. There's someone that is fulfilling those roles that you've thought about. There's someone that has had those exact life experiences. There's someone or something that is running, controlling, inhabiting your body. There's even someone right now having the thoughts and emotions that you're having. Who is this someone? Who is this something? Ask the question one more time. Who am I? All right, you can bring your consciousness back into the room. So what's the answer? For me, it's just yes. For me, trying to solve this issue with saying it's either or, either I'm made up of matter or I'm pure consciousness, sort of misses the point. I think we have to look at it from that holistic place of we are all those things. And for me, the, the real question, and in fact, some of the real reason we're here is to recognize the balance in our lives. Because we, like those newspaper articles that I pulled out of the newspaper this week, if we get on one side or the other too far, if we pay too much attention just to our physical, our physical nature, you know, to working too hard, to, uh, uh, you know, do, doing rather than being, if we spend all of our time working on the stuff of life, we're going to miss a huge part of our lives. Similarly, if we spend our entire life on the, the mental realm, if, if all we ever do is, is read books and contemplate, we are here in this physical form, I believe, for a reason. And so I ask you, in that little bit of a meditation that we did today, where do you stack up? Where did you most identify? Was it with your body? Was it with your roles in life? Uh, maybe with your job or your role as a, um, as, as a parent or something? Did you identify more with your emotions and, and your feelings? I think the more in balance we are, and, and only you can define what that balance is like when it's you being you, but I think a good, even-handed mm, helping, if you will, of all of those things makes us better people. When we not only do in the world, but we also just show up authentically without having to do things. When we're understanding what's going on in our mental and our emotional life and apply that to the rest of our world. When we think not only with our mind, but with our heart. And when we take action, not just out of doingness, but with some intention to it, all of these make us truly and authentically human on this planet. And when we go one way or another too far, I think tragedy comes about. I think we're missing the point. I think we're off on a tangent. So the rest of this month, today was kind of the setup, if you will. The rest of this month, I'm going to be giving you some very specific tools for bringing your life into a better balance.
for understanding that your mind, your body, your emotional self, all of it is connected. That there's no uh, um, getting away from putting things in little boxes and I'll take care of that some other day and, and you know, I go to the doctor for my body and that's where it ends. Do you know what I mean? A lot of times, as Ernest Holmes was saying, we're so used to dividing up our lives that we miss the point that it's all together. That it is our thoughts, our hearts, and our doingness that bring about all that we experience. It's not any one part of it and it isn't something we can divide up simply and have one part of it for later. So your homework for this week, to get ready for next week, because we're going to learn a very powerful tool next week, next week. What your homework is for this week is I would like you to be able next week, if someone asked you, what is the most important issue that you're working on in your life right now? I would like you to be able to just say it in a fairly short sentence. So not a whole big story of, of everything that has ever gone wrong or everything that you're hoping to accomplish, but rather choose something of importance to yourself and be able, if someone were to ask you, in kind of a short sentence to describe it. So it might be something fairly short and sweet, like uh, I've never felt that I've had really enough money in my life to make all of, uh, uh, to, to make ends meet. Or maybe it would be something like, I've never really felt secure in intimate relationships, and I was wishing that were different. Or it might be something like, uh, I've never really felt that I had the job that really suited me. I really don't understand what my life's purpose is. So try, uh, try to pick one thing you want to work on next week. Next week we're going to learn a very specific tool for making some progress in that area. But I think it will help you if you've already identified something you want to work on in a fairly short sentence. So I'm going to close today with a, a final quote from this great Ernest Holmes book and, uh, of course, with a prayer. And here's where he actually defines what this science of mind is. Science of mind is a systematic study of the creativity of the mind with its conscious and unconscious activities. It is also the study of the nature of spirit, which has created and animates and sustains. So it's both the science and the spirituality and the philosophy. He goes on to say, mental facts and spiritual experiences are just as real as sunsets and raindrops. We do not think of humanity's spirit and mind as confined within the body, but of body as being included within and sustained by the spirit of God itself. And as we permeate our own understanding with that higher and finer essence, we too become more of that Holy Spirit. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, one joy. There is one goodness. There is only one thing. I call it God, but you can call it Allah. You can call it the divine feminine. It is that out of which all things were created. That one God, that one life. And what I know about is we may talk about it in divisions. We may talk about it in pieces. We may talk about it as science and religion. We may talk about it as philosophy and health. But what I know is that it's all one thing. It is life itself moving forward. 
And so on this day for myself, I claim a greater awareness of that unity with all life. I claim a greater awareness to that higher consciousness, to my higher wisdom self. I, I claim unity with all. All the love, all the life, all the joy, all the abundance, all the freedom, all the health, all the balance, all the harmony. As it is in God in its entirety, I know that it is also available to me now and always. And as it is true for me, it is true for each person in this room. Each person here has the capability of receiving God's blessings in all of those forms and more. And so for this week, I know that each one of us begins to unify the pieces of our lives into one whole, begins to bring together maybe some of the compartmentalization we've done around our, our body or our health or our life or our work, and begins seeing ourselves as God sees us, whole, perfect, emboldened, enlivened, joyous, free. This is God's promise. And so I know in advance that all of us reach some measure of success in this. I, I know that to the ability we can embrace this idea of unity, the world and ourselves are made whole. I'm grateful for this. I just let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. So glad you joined us.